0: Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community.
1: Welcome, LBCF. You know, I, I like, you know, it's been over a year now that my wife and I have been coming to this church, and I don't know if you know my story, but um, um, I was pastoring a church for over 20 years, 25 years maybe, I already forget, twenty-five. <laughs> but in 2018, I actually chose to like retire from pastoring, um, thinking, you know, I started a nonprofit, and that's kind of what I was doing, and my wife and I were like visiting, you know, churches, um, and just trying to figure out where we can like um, you know establish our roots and get connected and there were quite a few churches that you know we we, we sought out there were like Asian churches there were mixed churches there were like very, you know more um, progressive churches and all and we were just all over the place uh, but when we were um, you know when um, the elders of the church approached me to consider LBCF um, I was like whoa you know <laughs> I was like um, you know we, you know that that was a surprise. Um, and you know, as I was thinking about it, I, w- I remember thinking, you know, it would be, um, you know, w- what would it feel like to be in a church that like is processing all these hard conversations? And I know for me, that was like one of the things that actually attracted me to the church, uh, because I, I don't want to be in a church that like is homogenous. Um, where things are easier because I want to be in a church where when Jesus says that they may be one as we are one, that, that he was thinking like all people trying to figure out how to be one. And I know that that vision, that prayer of Jesus was actually an invitation to hardship. It's an invitation to like what God is trying to accomplish because Jesus saw what heaven is like and he told us to pray, however it is in heaven, let it be on earth. And, and so part of, I think, the beautiful thing of coming into LBCF is like having that vision in the back of my mind and thinking, how do we bring heaven on earth? And I know the you know, last week Barbara started it, Ryan will share um, this morning and I'll um, share next week about like, You know, the vision of, like, what does it mean to be a family here at LBCF, knowing that we are coming from such broad backgrounds, broad ranges of experiences. uh, But there is something beautiful and powerful there, because I I sense that, like, as we're all sitting here, like, having a different lived-out experience, that God is looking at us right now and cheering us on. And God is saying... My prayer is that you would understand what it means in the same sweetness that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit enjoyed, beautiful fellowship. That same glorious, like, reality would it be experienced by the church. And that's, like, what our prayer is. And that's why, you know, this is something we're not just going to talk about this month, but it's something that we want to, like, make a reality throughout the course of our, you know, existence as LBCF. And so here's Ryan to share the word with us.
0: Good morning. Oh, it's okay. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to start a little different, and I usually don't ask people to do this, um, but if anybody would be comfortable sitting in the splash zone of the front, can I ask if anybody would be willing, because I'm sharing something today that is... um, very near to my heart and it makes me feel so much more comfortable when I feel like I'm talking to people yeah, this is making me so happy Um, I much prefer this I like talking to people when I can see them Um, today oh, now this feels weird almost (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah, I asked for it and I got it right. um yeah, today I'm this this weird cocktail of nervous and emotional and excited and tired and caffeinated and um and it's gonna be yeah, so I uh I'm I am happy you're here. My name's Ryan. I'm the teaching pastor here. And um, thank you for being here on Super Bowl Sunday. I hope that you all have a really good chili being, like, set up in your crock pots at home. Um, yeah, we're in this series um, talking about the f- the church as a family and as a body. And I wanted to start off 2022. As most of us, I get the sense that we all have this urgency to, like, move forward to, to try to make something out of, out of this year to not have 2020 just repeat <laughs> year after year to actually do something new. And so I wanted to start off the year talking about parables and, and it really flows in, in my passion and I have a lot to say. And then as I sat with so many people from the community, I realized that there was this deep need For us to kind of return to the basics of who we are to talk about what is what are we made of how is the how is the design of what the church can be and is what we are meant to do how can that provide us with a little bit of of hope and direction and so um, I think that there was an urgency in me, sort of this anxiety that pops up in me that wants to just do business as usual, to push forward, to not to not focus on, on the hard things. Um, but then there was this, like, show us how to actually work out this thing that we talk about of being in unity. How do we actually work out what it means to be a family when we are not uniform? And um, so... We wanted to have an opportunity to to teach, and then at the end, I'm going to bring Danny back up, and he's gonna have an opportunity to call me out if I was BSing anything, <laughs> or he's it, to, to have a chance to, to come up here and to talk, because the majority of the way that we actually work it out is by talking to each other, and then after that, we want to open it up to the community that, if, There are questions of how this is actually played out, um, that we know that we do not operate in a vacuum, that as we are working this out as a church, that we are with all of you working this out. And so your feedback to us um, actually helps us know how to set vision. Um, And Barb set us up so well last week where she was just open and authentic, Vulnerable, And so I felt like if I came into this space and just launched into it without providing some of that same amount of like authenticity that I would not be genuine. And it's been, um, I've, and so I was reflecting on like, where am I at today? How have I been this week? And um, sort of who am I in this space? And I felt like, like the picture that came up for me is if any of you watch boxing or anything, when somebody gets knocked out, when it's a really big knockout, sometimes there's this moment where they're still on their feet and you watch it like their brain is gone and they're just on their feet. And I'm like, oh, I've just been knocked out, but I'm on my feet. Like, I'm still, I'm still taking my kids to school. I'm still eating my food. I'm still taking care of myself, but I have felt sort of emotionally just knocked out. Like, I was talking to my therapist Week and, and, um, and we were talking about something that was really important, and I just had to stop and I go, this is all important, but I feel like I am emotionally absent. And I just had to get really honest with him and with myself that in these places where I want to be emotionally present, that it's been really, really hard. It's been hard to just to, to care for, for even important things just because I've felt so weary, and I've dealt with too years of loneliness, of people that have caught me before that are not catching me like I sometimes need, and I have this fatigue when people ask me, how are you? I wish I could go back to like the 2019, everything is good, we're fine, I'm a little busy and tired, but everything is good. Like, I wish I could go back to answering questions that lightly, but I'm like, please don't ask me how I am, (laughs) because I don't have it in me to tell you lies anymore. And I've felt that same thing when I talk to a lot of you is just this, like, we can't hide from this thing which feels like it's pressing on us from behind. And I really think today what I'm here to talk about um, is so important to me. It is the only, it is the thing that has carried me through um, many moments where I've wanted to quit. Um. There have been a lot of people that I went to school with that have since left the evangelical church, that have left church all together. And, um, and I am often asking, asking myself, like, why am I still a part of this structure, this system that, like, I have, that there's, the, the stress isn't worth it, the pay isn't worth it. Like, why am I doing this? And I, it's because of what I'm here to talk about. Today, this is what's carried me through. Um, It's answering the question, is there something in the design of the church that provides us hope? And I think the answer to that is yes. I'm going to start by prayer because I can tell that even now I'm like, I'm maybe like 80% more caffeinated than those other pieces. So I need to pray. I need to breathe. Lord, would you help us today to just be with each other? Help us to see what you have called us to as a church. Help us to see each other. Help us to care well for each other. Help us to see what, what we can from the way that your son lived his life in a way that would shape how we are as a community. In your name, amen. So how many of you have seen the movie Encanto? Okay. Yeah. So in our house, we talked about Bruno a lot, um, and I had to put, I, I've, I don't very often have conversations in my house where I say, we need to stop watching movies. It was two times a day for like two weeks, and I was like, I, I can't hear these songs as great as they are anymore. We are taking a break from Encanto. Um, but it's a really beautiful movie, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it once or twice. Don't do what happens in my house. Um, but there's this, this picture of a family that there are special kind of powers, gifts that they have. And they serve the family really well. And then something is happening underneath where it's like, oh, this isn't working anymore. Something's happening here. And then they have to, as a family, make room for some really inconvenient truth. They have to make room to see each other. They have to make room for the people in their family to be more than just their utility. They have to make room for the one who's strong to be really weak to rest. They have to make room for the quiet one to speak up. They have to make room for the one who's perfect to not be perfect anymore. They have to make room for the one who they've shut away to finally pay attention to that voice there's this beautiful picture of, of how in a family we actually have to step back from our utility and how we serve each other and our roles that we play to see each other, to allow each other to be weak. And so I think that there was this transition in Encanto from what worked to how they care for each other. My first point is that in a family, care trumps fair care trumps fair and what i don't mean by fair and i have to have a caution because when i say that what i don't mean is that it trumps the need for repentance or change or justice or goodness what i mean by care trumps fair is that 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 urgency that comes up in us that says well What about me that really fights against that Romans 12, that other-oriented, preferring each other that we learned about last week, that there's a fairness that comes up where it rises up in me all the time. I'm asking questions in my marriage, in my home, all the time, like, when do I get mine? Like, what about me? And I have to suppress that all the time, not because what I need is unimportant, but because I have to trust that as I serve, that God will take care of me in my service towards my family. That as I serve, that I also find ways to do really good self-care. Because if I'm not caring for myself, I often will not care for my family very well. But that fairness that we see is really... um, We see a lot in Jesus that sort of counteracts that impulse. And so um, as I've been trying to process a lot of what I feel like, I'm not sure if any of you have gone on vacation or you take a break and then all of a sudden your body gets sick like that day. A lot of us have experienced that. And the reason that that happens is because as you are out running, your stressors, as you are trying to be stay in front of all of these things in this pace that you're trying to keep up with, the moment that you slow down, these things sort of crash on top of you. And this, this, this illness that you've been trying to outrun for so long finally has its moment to crash, and your body breaks down, and you get sick, and it ruins your vacation, and it's happened to my kids many times, and I'm like, how can we not live that way? And I've noticed that in myself, what I need to do is reach out to people who are close to me and say, like, I need, I need help. I need you to help ground me, say something kind to me, just straight up ask. Like, I just need your help here. And so I reached out to my friend Tim, <clears throat> and he encouraged me to reorient how I'm thinking towards the heart of Christ and I really pride myself in, like, I think I am doing that a lot until somebody tells me to do that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't been doing that. Um, but as I thought about that, my mind went to this place of, of early 2020 as I th- think about how care trumps fair. I think about um, March 2020, um, all of us know what happened March 2020, but... Um, there was this moment where I was, when everything started to close down and there was the great toilet paper famine of 2020 and, and madness and people were <laughs> going crazy. Um, and uh, I thought if I could just get my head around what's happening. And so I would take screen shots every day of the, of the numbers of where it was growing and how it was handling. And I thought, really, if I could just understand it better, if I could just get more data input, I could get around this, and I could I could be in control of it. I could be on top of it, and I could actually think more clearly. And if any of you know, when you flood yourself with enough bad news, <laughs> it doesn't do well. And so there would be moments where I would have to leave my house, walk down the street. And I'm not a very emotional person. I'm also not a public crier. But I would walk down the street and I would sit on this planter and I would just cry because I couldn't handle it anymore. And I remember I would go home and I would be a lackluster husband. I would get the job done for my kids and I would get them fed, but I was so absent, so caught up in the news and everything that was happening, that I was falling apart. And it wasn't fair to my wife that I didn't have better strategies to take care of myself at the time. It wasn't fair to her. And she would hold me and she would let me cry. She would hold me and she would say kind things. That in that moment, she knew what n- needed to happen. Long term, of course, I needed to do, develop better strategies of how to take care of myself. I needed to, to, to be able to put a pause on these things that were harming me. In that moment, she knew that I just needed care. I needed to be held. And I think about Jesus leaving the 99 to go after one. Not fair. I've constantly thought over the last two years, like, What did the 99 think about that? (laughs) I mean, they were sheep, so they had dumb sheep thoughts. But if we think about this in people terms, right? Like if Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one, how did he be with people so that those 99 did not feel abandoned? I think about the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, if you haven't heard that parable before, this kid takes his inheritance from his Other, which culturally at the time was as good as saying, like, you are dead to me. I'm going to take this. I'm going to Vegas, and I'm putting it all on the Detroit Lions. He just threw his money away. It's a little football joke. They're a terrible team. Don't worry about it. Um, And if you like them, I'm sorry. But um, he went and threw it all away, and then eventually was like, he... Realized what had happened, and he's like, Maybe I could go back and work for my dad. Maybe he would take me in as a slave. And as he started to go back, the text says his father was there waiting for him. Ran up to him, put a ring on his finger, put, put a robe around him, threw him a party. And the older son, who had been faithful the whole time, is like, What the heck? I've been here the, the whole time. What about me? And then we have this picture of the good Samaritan, the hero of the story of how to care for your neighbor, is this person who these people have legitimate hatred towards because they have a history. The Samaritans were bad people. They were hurtful people. Jesus used this this person very strategically to say that whether I'm Going after the one sheep who it was probably by the sheep's own fault that they were off on their own. They have reason that they were off on their own. We could so quickly point blame. The son went and was selfish, plenty of blame, plenty of reason to not show care. It's not fair. These things are not fair. He would spend time, he in in the three years that he had his ministry. He spent his time eating with the people who were considered the lowest. And when you shared a meal in that time, you weren't only trying to be hospitable towards them, but you were allowing yourself to be identified with those people. Who you ate with is who you were. So when we think about that, Jesus was willing to toss away his reputation to be identified with, with these people who chose a career that was oppressive. These tax collectors, he knew that they needed care even though it wasn't fair. The one needed care. The prodigal son needed care. The Samaritans needed care. And so it's, it, it's, it's good right now to, to kind of step back And acknowledge that, of course, in a family, there can be bad pain and good pain. Because what I'm trying to advocate for here is not that we just toss off all of the bad pain that has been caused to you in your church family, in your actual family. As I was talking to Vanessa about this, she was like, well, make sure that you acknowledge what might be in the room that a lot of people don't have great experiences with family. So when we start talking about the church as family, that could be a really complicated thing for you. That may bring up more pain than hope. And I think that it's good to call out what good and bad pain can be. Romans 12, this like others oriented, being there for each other, in unloving hands has caused great amount of of problems and trauma and abuse because it's used as a weapon to keep people from, from fighting for justice and rightness, goodness. And that's not, that is bad pain. I recently um, ha- went to see a chiropractor and it was interesting because they said that they were there to help me and then they made me do stretches that felt like it was just adding to my pain. I had this one where I was laying and they grabbed my head and literally yanked my head and I felt it in my tailbone and I said, that doesn't feel right. That feels more painful. But in the hands of somebody who knows what they are doing, who wants what's best for me, they might actually force me to face my pain. They might force me to stretch in a way that it feels like it's adding to it. So that is a transition from bad pain to good pain. I have to be willing to address and actually stay there when it feels painful knowing that this person who I believe, and I have to believe that they know what's right for me, that they know what's best for me, and that when they tell me to approach my body in this way, that if I do it, even though it feels painful, even though it feels like what would be better than that is to do it to a place where I feel comfort, that when I approach my own pain, that's actually doing something good. And to get really practical, um, as I've been on, on staff here at LBCF, um, I've had many conversations that have been very humbling but good where people have come up to me, not just on s- staff, but people. Some of you that are looking at me now have come up to me and said, this thing you said was fell off or, or was hurtful or it really did not acknowledge my experience over here. And I've sat and, I, and I've had to sit in this place of, of being blamed for people leaving our c- community. And I, and I know that there's a lot of ways to interpret um, that, but when people approach me and they open up and they're saying, I've been hurt and I want to make it right, there's a goodness in that pain. There's a goodness and a rightness And people approaching me and saying, I honor and value you enough to say, like, we need to talk about this. No more recently than last week, Danny and I sat and we had a conversation as we learn each other on how do we do this well. How do I own the ways that even though my heart bursts open for this idea of church as a family, that even inadvertently by speaking lazily or by saying, by responding to an email before I've proofread it or by responding to things, I can still hurt someone else. And I hate that about, uh, about how real family can be, that the ones that you love, you can hurt the most. Like that reality for me is something that I've Realize that even though that brings me hope, this is one of the only things that I really think the church needs to get this to get where it needs to go. And if we don't get this, all of our propositions, all of the things that we agree on are not going to matter. If we don't get the sense that what we have to do is be able to sit across the table from each other and that family has to be the most honest and the most safe place. And if we can't build something that is honest and safe, all of these other things will just become, um, they'll they'll just become these things that we tout and we won't know each other at all. And so I want to go to the text now because I want to talk through where I see, what is the picture? So let's just start with the John 1, 12. It says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now let's go to the next one. So what does it mean to receive him? Because it says, to all who received him, he, became, he gave that right. And this is a story where he's talking about the sheeps and the goats being separated. And he says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When did we welcome you? When did we receive you? or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. How we receive each other is how we receive Christ. (laughs) Next, Romans. It says, if some of the branches have been broken off for you, they'll Though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches if you do consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. There's this other picture in which branches were broken off, and even though we did not originally belong, the gardener wanted us there. Grafting doesn't happen on accident. There's an intentionality where we are made to be a part of this thing. So when we think about our place at at the table in this community as a family, one of the primary responses we should have is gratitude and amazement that we are even here. We should be pausing and saying how good it is that I've been grafted in, that I get to be a child. And how if that underlays everything that we do, this awe, this amazement, this beauty, it changes how we are with each other. And if we miss it and if we lose it and if we forget that we've been grafted in, that we're a part of this story, that it's amazing and it's absurd that even I'm here, we need to pause and step back and have some gratitude because that's amazing, the Gardener wanted me here. Next, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The picture is that we are siblings who have one Father. And we are invited to this beautiful table. And some of us just need to get better about our table manners. (laughs) Some of us just need to learn to look across the table and be so appreciative that we're here. Because Luke 14 paints this picture where it says he invited people and all of them had excuses of why they couldn't come. And so he said, you know what? forget it, go out to the streets and invite people in. Invite whoever will hear your voice and bring them in. And so these servants went out and they said, okay, but there's still room. And so he goes, go out and compel everybody. There's this picture of a table where all who respond to come to the table are welcome. And that we are table guests. And that's a beautiful thing that we are siblings with each other. And if any of you have actual blood siblings, you know that that can be a very complicated relationship. But one of the ways that you work out love in that place is that we don't walk away. And I'm not just talking about walking away from particular church communities. This isn't like some some. Uh, some complaint about people who have left our community. It's with each other. Even people that I still have relationship with that are no longer part of LBAF. AF. They are my brother. They are my sister. There is care. There is love. How can we do that? How can we remain a family as the church? As a church, we are meant to live out this neighbor narrative to the world and the family narrative with each other. I want to share a, a video with you, and then after that, I'm, I'm going to invite Danny up. But before we play it, I played this in 2017, and I think this is one of the greatest hints from nature at what is available to us as a church. This is um, this is a video of what's called a murmuration, um, and a few... Years ago, I watched as speaker Lucas Ramirez presented his reflections on this, and he talked about how these thousands and sometimes millions of starlings move together, and because of advancements in camera tech, we can now study it, and the implications are wild. So I'm going to play this, and I'm going to be talking over it, but just have a look at this video. So this is called a murmuration. It's not only beautiful, but it is key to their survival. It's once these birds identify a common threat that they move together. Each bird affects the seven closest birds to it. There is no alpha. Any starling can initiate change. The average human response time is 198 milliseconds. The average starling is 38. But in a murmuration, it can get as low as 15. So when they move together, their response time increases. It's now understood that this is more to do with something that's called critical transition, which is the same thing as when water becomes vapor or when metal becomes a magnet, that when the actual essence of a thing changes to something else, that is how they're understanding these murmurations. As they move poetically through the sky, it makes it much harder for a predator to single any one of them out. It provides warmth in the cold nights, and it it is in their proximity to each other In a shared strategy that they create beauty and they guard each other. And I really think that as we move forward as a church, that there's going to be a need for us to really embody this idea. Because when we move away from Omicron and when things start to all down that wave of grief. Do not be surprised if you're in a grocery s- s- store and you see somebody just crying. Don't be surprised if that person is you. <laughs> don't be surprised if all, all of a sudden you have this anger in you that you don't know where it's coming from. Maybe we've been just out running things for so long that we need to embody this place where you can come and feel safe to be broken, to fail, to try to do it wrong, To be together, because I think when we embody the family, there's room. There's room for that, and when we do that, when we move, we can create something that is beautiful, but will also guard each other. So now I want to invite Danny up and just give hear him and and give his reflection on it too.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, As I think about Ryan's message and Barbara's, I'm, like, just um, grateful for the fact that God has, I mean, this, as I was especially watching the video, um, you know, as God invites us into fellowship um, with him, it's an invitation to the fellowship of the Trinity. As God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son has been dancing since before time together together. And God's intention is to invite all of creation to participate in that dance. And right now, um, we are in a very broken time in churches, especially. Um, there is so much disruption, so much chaos. Um, so many Christians huddling in their own churches, trying to find people as much like them as possible. Why? To like, not deal, right? Not deal with one another. It's so much easier just to walk away. Um, you know, my wife was watching Love Is Blind season two last night, <laughs> um, and there was this one. I walked in, and there was this one guy who just, like, every time there was a problem, he would just get up and goes, "I'm done with this," and just walk away. And I was like, "Red flag, red flag," because anyone that like just gets up when time is hard. And walks away, that's not the kind of relationship that will build any depth. And so that's why I appreciated what Ryan said, you know, the reference to Encanto, that like families make space for the inconvenient. And if we could just like think about that, families make space for the inconvenient because there's going to be inconvenience. And so I love that Ryan was able to share like, you know, what happened between me and him last week. And sometimes I wish we could just have have our like phone and record our conversations so that you guys can like witness the messiness that happens you know in the pastoral team because it's not you know we we're coming from f- three different places we're like you know however you guys want to see us we're like all over the map we're like ah, no no nah, nah. <laughs> we're like. We're like listening. Part of it is that we're listening to different people's experiences in the church, and we're all trying to bring it together, and we're all wanting the best, but there's some times where it gets really hard. And last week was one of those times where actually it started maybe a, it started weeks before that, and it got to the place where I had to like write my thoughts out, and then I approached the um, lead team and I said, "Hey." This is what I've been feeling, and I'm, like, getting a little exhausted here. Um, And I want to share this because I want you to know me. Um, This isn't to place blame, but to let you know how I'm receiving all of this. And this is really hard. And, you know, I know as Ryan and Barbara were listening to, like, my little, like, you know, notes of lament, um, it was probably, I mean, I know it was difficult for them. Uh, But, um, you know, we continued to text, and, you know, Ryan and I met um, by ourselves at the Suido's Town Center, and we continued to listen, and that was so good. And I think that was, like, important for us. You know, I've only met Ryan, like, a year ago. You know, we we are new in our relationship. We're still trying to get to know each other. But we know that in order for us to grow, we have to, like, not... um, not get up, right, and just, like, walk away, but how do we have these hard conversations? And I, I know for me, and I'll ask you, Ryan, how you felt after the Cerritos Town Center conversation. But I felt like even though we weren't able to fix everything, because there's still stuff that, you know, we disagree with, we didn't fix it. But I knew that coming away from that, there was a valuing of one another. That that was, for me, the most important maybe Ryan you could share
0: yeah um, yeah I I I actually drew on some of what you had asked me coming away from that time um, as one of my points is like is is the pain that we're feeling or is or is the or is the issue feel healthier now because sometimes the pain won't go away Sometimes it moves from this place of being unhealthy to a place where it's healthy now, where we're talking about it. And so, yeah, I think that that the way that you did approach me as not trying to s- solve an issue, but to get to know me, um, that set me at a place where all of a sudden it turned the heat down, where so many times we have so m- many places that want to turn the heat up in us all the time and so that helped me feel seen and um, yeah it it, it puts me in a better place to know you too and to how to move through that so
1: yeah I I think that was so good for us because that's you know really what we want to see happen in the whole church how do we how do we engage in these kind of conversations know, I know Barbara um, talked about it last week and, and Ryan talked about it this week, um, like, you know, the f- emphasis of not walking away. But I know we also each have brought it up in the past that um, we're, we're not talking about, like, harmful, toxic relationships, right? Um, for people who are in toxic, harmful relationship, abusive relationships, that's not what we're talking about here. And so please, please know that that's not like, you know, (laughs) I hope none of you come away from this thinking I have to stay with my abusive husband or whatever that might be. Uh, Because that's like a whole different thing that, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, talk about at another time. But what we're talking about here is in the context of family relationships where, you know, the scriptures tell us love does no harm. Um, How do we, like, engage in this? And how do we do it in a way that's beautiful and healthy and, and, like, life-giving? Um, And as I was, like, you know, thinking about that, you know, what Ryan said about the inconvenient, like, you know, um, it's going to be inconvenient, um, you know, as we have these conversations. But if we're willing to, like, engage in the inconvenience, I think there's going to be a lot of growth. I think there's going to be something beautiful and powerful. But it's a big ask. It's a commitment. And I think, you know, when Jesus, you know, talks about, you know, can, can you drink from the cup, right? Can you drink from the cup of suffering? Can you partake in this communion? It's an invitation, like, to, like, understand what it means to, like, love one another, even though it's inconvenient. And so we, we take this almost like it's a wedding ceremony. Like, you know, when, you know, people, like, give rings to each other. Taking communion is not an isolated act by the nature of this, like, table we are having fellowship. We are breaking from that one bread, so to speak. Why? Because we belong to one another. That's, that's what this one bread, one loaf means. We belong to one another. Can you participate in this bread? Can you take this cup? Because this is what Jesus was after. And and we were like, uh, we want to say, We want to be a radical place of belonging. We want to be a church that says, you know what, there's a lot of factions happening across the U.S. and across the world, especially in the church. How do we push back against that? Why? Because our vision of the church is about what revelation tells us, that there's going to be like this whole host of people worshiping God together from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That reality, Jesus says, should happen now. And how do we do that as a church? And so right now we want to, like, open it up for the next, like, 10, 12 minutes um, and just hear, like, you know, some of your response. Um, um, If you need a mic, I'll I'll just come up and and share it with you, but... um, yeah, we want to hear from the church. Um, what are your thoughts um, about like, what has been shared today or even last week, what Barbara shared? Sorry. <laughs> we'll have communion in a little bit.
0: <laughs> we hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.